Before we get started, a quick disclaimer. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any investment. And with that, hello and welcome to the Rangely Capital Podcast. I'm Andrew Walker, Portfolio Manager at Rangely, and with me as always, my co-host and Rangely's founder, Chris Demuth. Today, well, A, we're working on our new podcasting equipment, so hopefully this sounds great. But we're going to start off by talking about Equifax and their uh, recent hat, and then we're going to move on to discuss Uber and London's recent decision to not renew their license. So Chris, Equifax has been in the news quite a bit recently. You know, at the beginning of September, they announced this massive data breach. Uh, Shares are down more than 25% since that announcement. This morning, Equifax's CEO and chairman announced that he was going to step aside. He'd been CEO since 2005. And kind of in an unusual decision, Equifax and the CEO decided that they'd put off the decision for exactly how to classify how he left until the investigation into the data hack is finished, which is kind of strange. But we haven't talked about the Equifax data breach yet, so I, I thought this was a great time to bring it up. You know, what do you think about the breach? What do you think about the CEO leaving? The company putting off how to decide if he's leaving, and you know, just kind of the big stock drop in general. To start with the firing, I have always liked the coach model for firing, which is you shoot first next questions later based on simply outcomes and there's no moral culpability necessary to it it's fluid and it creates fluid labor markets something went terribly wrong he is responsible he should go and later culpability can be sorted out that's interesting so i don't disagree something went terribly wrong that's certainly Mm -hmm. true but in this case This was the company, to the best of my understanding, this is the company in March, there was a security update for something that their systems were based on, and the security team didn't apply the security update. But how far down does the CEO's responsibilities go? You know, like in Wells Fargo's case, what I was kind of interested in, that was almost clearly on the CEO, where he had a culture of aggressive salesmanship that led to the fake accounts. But in Equifax's case, like I really doubt he was coming to the office every day and being like, all right, guys, you know what our culture is based on? shoddy security work that is what we're going to base our you know like there's nothing he could have done in my mind so i'm just kind of unsure i raised the standard for him because this is intrinsic to their business great uh, security management is what their ads say and in this case it reminds me a little bit about how the ntsb does regulatory reviews of plane crashes which i think is one of the most functional government agencies on disaster reviews and there's no culpability they don't worry about whose fault it is narrowly and at this point since he's gone anyways they can kind of get to the bottom of it without it making the marginal is he going to get fired or not decision and i think you get a lot better cooperation with reviews like that well i I suppose plane crash like plane crash you said no culpability like here he he's getting blamed right he's fired he's getting blamed so the the firing is explicit but then just saying that the firing is not being held up on the balance Mm -hmm. you know and then look like this is almost a aside from that how was the play miss lincoln but you know i think in general his tenure was largely successful he largely transformed equifax kind of from a boring old company into they were a data powerhouse you know data over the past 10 to 15 years the use for it has grown exponentially and its value has grown exponentially even after this big drop equifax's shares have actually really outperformed the s&p 500 over his tenure they were up 260 percent versus the s&p up about 160%. And before this scandal, they were up almost 400%. Uh, 
percent. So if you were a shareholder, you were pretty happy with his tenure, actually. So, you know, I just don't know. It's it's just tough for me to say this is his thing because he's not the guy who's supposed to be checking the security boxes. And I'm not sure you can say like you hire a security team, you say do the best you can. I'm not sure you can blame him if the security team he could have never known this. So it's just tough for me. Bigger picture. I think it's interesting that you have this large organization with this highly centralized database vertically organized and bam all key parts of your identity are stolen simultaneously over a hundred million in this huge huge number and i just think that you know you have an organization like that it really hurts security and makes identity theft more likely at the same time if you look at the organizations that have been probing what the problem could be looking for an identification and a fix it's actually largely spontaneous open source entrepreneurial solution quartz and other sites where people can go back and forth have gotten really close at identifying the vulnerabilities a lot faster than these kind of central stodgy companies have you go back even further social security numbers were not intended for id if you look at the original underlying law it specifically says they won't be used for id this was used as something that opponents of social security originally said that people could be tracked by the number and that was thought to be scaremongering by supporters and so this kind of put everything in one basket is a problem when somebody steals the basket yeah yeah what were supposed to be used for ids if not social security numbers was it just supposed to be name like how would we track people without social security numbers is kind of an interesting question yeah i mean i I just think that the kind of need to track people didn't really exist in the early part of last century it wasn't really contemplated but it was a fear that this would be used for that and of course now it is kind of almost ubiquitously so moving on anyway it sounds like you agree with the cbo being fired i don't necessarily agree with it because it's just yeah it's tough for me to put the blame for this on him you know i i do think it's probably the right move though you know you think about in the next couple of weeks and months there are certainly going to be congressional hearings the political pressure is going to be crazy all of the regulators are going to be out for them i think having the ceo step aside to avoid that political pressure i think that for that reason it makes all the sense in the world for the organization i'm just not sure yeah. if i agree with it this is what anti-corporate ags live for and if you look at the ones that i might not that it matters i might not necessarily vote for those these ones that just hate companies generally this is their view of what companies are doing but these guys actually did it and so they're going to have just an immense amount of political problems at the state level yeah so speaking of the political problems you know the the shares are down 25 percent you know i i don't know if you had any thoughts on do you think this is an opportunity do you think there's too much panic here do you think there's not enough panic here I, I don't, I should just say, I don't know yet. Don't yeah. Know yet. You know, to me, it's just, it's interesting because Equifax, you know, as of, you know, a month ago, this was a business that was a genuinely very good business. There were mm-hmm. only two or three of these giant consumer data companies, but you generally hear about some hack like this and the stock down 25% and you think, hey, this might be something that's pretty cheap, but you know, the shares are still trading at about 20 times earnings. So it, it doesn't just, it doesn't strike you on the face of it as cheap, 20 times earning for something that's about to go through all these political investigations, everything doesn't strike you as necessarily cheap. So it feels like the market might kind of have adjusted for that. At the same time, their peers kind of trade for 25 to maybe 30 times earnings. So maybe in that sense, they're trading for a discounted multiple, but it just doesn't seem like, it seems like the market's maybe got it right or maybe not even panicked enough here. They managed from just a PR marketing presentation perspective to really turn a potentially small problem into a big one by not 
fessing up quickly. Um, I think one of the worst parts of their reaction is that they tried to slip in that if you check your individual status, that requires granting them a waiver from legal liability. I looked at the open source ID of some of the potential vulnerabilities, and I was quite wondering if I wanted to find out if I was part of the hack and if I didn't want to grant that liability, could I legally hack in to only get my own information (laughs) so I could see just myself based on the open source vulnerability that was ID'd? I decided not to actually pursue that any further, but at least it's an interesting question given that they wanted to have a waiver associated with the request, which I don't think they're going to get far with. Perfect. So let's move on to Uber and London. So the Transportation for London, that's the not-for-profit group that runs and regulates transportation in London, obviously. Mm -hmm. They recently made the decision not to renew Uber's license to operate when it expires on September 30th. It was kind of a surprising move, and it obviously threatens Uber's status to operate. You know, Uber's the most valuable private tech company in the world. They were worth $68 billion in their last fundraising round. And this decision comes on the heels of what's been a pretty awful year for them, you know, They've had the CEO turnover. They've had all sorts of scandals. So I want to turn it over to you. What do you think about London's decision here? And what do you think about the outlook in general for Uber? Uber, people uh, talk in Silicon Valley and with startups about how disruptive they are. And I think no company kind of embodies kind of proudly uh, disruptiveness the way Uber does. Maybe it's bad tactics in terms of dealing with entrenched incumbents. In this case, I I look at London. I think it's a terrible decision. I hope it is uh, reversed on appeal. I think the rule of law really requires crystal clear clarity in terms of the standard. And you look, and this is a very British thing in some ways, when the standard is their corporate responsibility. Well, when I wake up in the morning, I don't know if I am guilty or innocent of corporate responsibility. And these kinds of amorphous standards is just perfect for captured incumbents who want to crush a entrant. A similar thing's happening uh, right now in London with their fit and proper standard uh, mm. in the media side. You know, am I fit and proper? I don't know. Somebody probably says I am. Somebody says I'm not. You know, it, it's not like trying to be innocent of murder. You know, you know if you're innocent or guilty. It's a real actual thing as opposed to just words that somebody throws at you often cynically. So I think this is a terrible standard. I think it's a terrible outcome so far. And I think that Uber has the scale that hopefully they will uh, fight and win. I am with you there. I think the the fit and proper standard, obviously, right now it's relating to Fox is trying to take over Sky, which they already own the majority of. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the fit and proper standard seems to be relating to the Fox News sexual harassment issues that date back to kind of last summer-ish, which it's kind of interesting. Like, if those issues are in the past, why should a sexual harassment scandal in a United States subsidiary, why should that apply at all? to a takeover of a UK broadcaster. So I'm certainly with you there. You know, here, I I think it's interesting. Uber's model to begin with was, hey, ignore all the regulators and get started and just build this business. We'll ignore all the regulators. And that worked really well for them. They would have never gotten off the ground without ignoring regulators. But now... A, are you seeing like a little bit of, not even a little, a lot of regulatory pushback? And B, in the past, you know, when New York tried to uh, push back on Uber, 
Uber went to both the drivers and the consumers and said, hey, if these pushbacks go through, it's going to be awful for you. But now that Uber's had all these kind of all this poor press, their drivers are earning a lot less as a lot more driver supply has come on. Kind of the, the drivers are earning a much more market wage where it's just kind of pay for their time. Customers are kind of burnt out on a lot of their on the surge pricing and on all the scandals. Mm-hmm. Are they going to have that consumer support that will enable them to push back against regulators? You know, I think they're fighting to a two-front war. Uh, they're fighting against the entrenched incumbents, and they're also fighting against labor laws where productivity goes to die. And if you do both at the same time, you are the hero of markets, and you're the hero of customers uh, who might not fully appreciate it. But boy, do you have these two two of the strongest political forces in the world uh, going against you. And I think when you're tiny, you're not worth the bother of monopolists swatting you like a fly. And you get a little bigger and a little bigger and you get more confident. You say, this is great. And then just one day they just crack down. My thought for Uber, uh, if they're listening, uh, is this. Every time you put out a bill and cumulatively on accounts, you should show in dollars or pounds and in hours how much cumulatively people are saving. Like send them a bill for the taxis and the minutes and say, look, you need to see uh, producers are very well aware of their interests. Consumers usually aren't. And if at the end of the year you say, hey, you've saved three hours, you save $700. Yeah. That's how consumers are really going to come to the defense of Uber uh, versus a uh, stupid and productivity killing labor laws and stupid and slow, stodgy, monopolist no, incumbents. I, I'm with you, and it, it's the joke that you've made several times on the podcast where you know, a taxi driver was, would strike and say, we're not going to drive anyone today, and people would be like, why? And they'd be like, because Uber will drive you there cheaper in a nicer car and, and get, get you quicker. It's like, yeah. you know, the reason Uber is so successful is people are voting with their wallet. It right. is more convenient. It is cheaper. It, right. it is faster. But I, I do think it is also kind of interesting. You mentioned labor. Like Uber, uh, I saw a stat that said Uber has 40,000 drivers in, in London. London, which is just an insane amount, but those are contractors, and a lot of times they feel like Uber is kind of stiffing them on, in terms of pay and in terms of Uber's take, which is kind of funny to me because you're a contractor, you're choosing to spend your time yeah. driving for Uber. It's but, as voluntary as it could be. But it is interesting, like that could be such a political group if they had goodwill towards Uber. Like if they were 40,000 employees, obviously Uber's cost structure would be a lot different, but what, I, I can't imagine a politician would mess with a group that had 40,000 employees like that. So, yeah, that was just kind of interesting for me. I don't know if you have any last thoughts on it. I'll turn it over to you. I have nothing to add. Okay, perfect. So let's wrap it up there. Uh, that's all the time we have for today. Just a quick reminder before we get our disclosures. If you like this podcast, the best way to get more of them is to recommend us to a friend and get them to start listening. Uh, Chris, disclosures, I think we're long a little sky and yep. that's it. So maybe we're talking our book by talking against the fit and proper test. Yes. <laughs> perfect. We'll talk to you guys soon.